welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Today, we continue our study in the book of Joshua. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter 6. And we started this journey. I thought we would be done by now, but we're, uh, we're still discovering some truth that I think is fun for us to uncover as we, uh, we talk about the subject of victory, our new normal, and recognize that God's design and desire is for us to walk in victory. He, he, and, and in doing that, um, what we've done is kind of looked at the book of Joshua and what we have seen is how God led the nation of Israel into the promised land, into the fullness of all that he has for them. And what we're doing is recognizing that if God is leading the nation of Israel into a full on walk with him, what does that look like? And what can we learn from that? Can we too enter into the fullness of all that God has for us? And so we've been talking about that over the last few weeks. And, and last week, uh, we were in chapter 6 as we looked at the best-known story from the life of Joshua in the book of Joshua. And that story, of course, being uh, Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho. If you grew up in church, you sang songs about that when you were a kid. And you've seen the pictures. And uh, if you go way back far enough, there's a thing called flannel graft. Now, that really... Um, man, I reached way back uh, for that one. But we had these stories that we would tell uh, out of the Old Testament, and that was one of the fun stories that we would tell children about God working in the nation of Israel. And so before we get further down the road in our study, I thought we need to come back and revisit this for a moment because it's so familiar we sometimes forget or overlook or miss things. And what I want to talk to you about today, I've kind of spent some time in the text this week looking at it, and and I want to share with you a message that I'm calling Lessons from Jericho. What can we learn from Jericho? And as I looked at that passage of Scripture from that perspective and and began to, to, to try to glean what are some real key truths that we can take away. There are many lessons from Jericho. Uh, I'm just going to give you three uh, today, but this was a fun moment because I realized that the three truths that kind of stand out from the text for me uh, are truths that I actually could have gone to the story of the nation of Israel crossing Jordan, and I could say lessons from Jordan, and it would be the same sermon. Or I could say lessons from the wilderness when they were wandering in the wilderness, and it would be the same sermon. I I could go back to the beginning of the Exodus when they crossed the Red Sea, and it would be the same sermon. I I could go back into the time that they were in bondage in Egypt. And discover those same truths. It's as if God is trying to say something to us and we're missing it. And so I'm prayerful that today we get it. You know, that we really can begin to hang on it. Because I really believe that if we get these three things, it's going to help us in today's battles. The fights that we have today are going to be uh, uh, victorious if, if we get this truth. Um, it kind of reminded me of the story of 
of a pastor who came to a church in view of a call or on a trial sermon. This church had a pastor that had resigned and moved away and they called another pastor and he came and preached that trial sermon and everybody heard him and man, he was great. I mean, he just knocked it out of the park. He preached his best sermon and everybody thought this is great. And so they voted to call him as their pastor. And so a couple of weeks before he was able to move and he finally shows up and, and everybody's excited because we've got a new pastor and they come and that Sunday morning he gets up to preach his first sermon as their pastor and he preaches the same sermon that he preached in his trial sermon and so they thought well that's different but it was a good sermon so I guess it's worth hearing twice and and, and so you know they gave him the benefit of the doubt everything was good maybe he's setting a new standard as a new direction in in our church and then the next week he came and guess what same sermon again now this time they're like, wow, that is really strange. We've heard the same sermon three different times from the pastor and, and I mean, exactly the same and we don't know him, but I, okay, you know, three and fourth week comes, he preaches the same sermon again, the fourth Sunday. Now this time, that's a little overkill. So they're like, you know what? We need to find out what's going on. So they went to the leadership of the church and the deacon said, you know what, guys, you probably need to talk to the pastor and find out what's going on. Because I mean, it's a good sermon, but does he have anything else? Does he know anything else that he can share? And so they went and they talked to him and the next Sunday he gets up to preach and he says, hey, I understand understand that some of you are concerned because I preach the same sermon four Sundays in a row. I just want you to understand, when you get this one down, we'll move to the next. And I'm kind of wondering if maybe the Holy Spirit's not saying, hey, when you get this down, we'll, we'll go to the next one. And, um, and so these are some lessons that we need to learn. But for our time together, um, let's look at Joshua chapter six and let's just kind of read that story again and we're gonna unpack these three truths uh, that has for us. So look at verse seven in chapter six, Joshua, and we, and we find these words. Then he said to the people, go forward and march around the city and let the armed men go on before the ark of the Lord. And it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram horns before the Lord went forward and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant and the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priest who blew the trumpets and there's a rear guard after the ark while they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua commanded the people saying, you shall not shout nor let your voice be heard nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day that I tell you shout. Then you shall shout. So they had the ark of the, cub, uh, ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once. Then they came into the camp and they spent the night in the camp. Now Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord and the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of Ramhorn before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets and the armed men went before them and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while they continued to blow the trumpets. Thus the second day they marched around the city once and returned to camp and they did so for six days. Then on the seventh day they rose early at dawn and on the day marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. 
And at the seventh time, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now, he had offered this instruction to them, very important, especially for what we're going to talk about next time we're together. He had offered this instruction. He said, the city shall be under the band. It is that... Uh, all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers who we sent. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under ban so that you do not covet them. And take some of the things under ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So, seventh time around, shout. So all the people, verse 20, shouted. The priests blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpets, the people shouted with a great shout. And the walls fell down flat so that all the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city and they utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey at the edge of a sword. And Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the harlot's house and bring out the woman and all she has out of there just as you have sworn her. Now, in that story, very familiar, I want to look at three truths that we can kind of unpack together. Three lessons that we can learn. Three things we can kind of carry with us as we leave today that, that may help us in the battles that we have to face today. Now, as we look at the story, I think the first lesson's pretty obvious for us, but that first lesson is that we are to trust God's promises. We study and discover in this passage of scripture that God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God, that he is a God that keeps his word. And we see that in the story before us because God made a promise and he answers the promise. He tells Joshua as commander of the Lord of hosts, he tells Joshua when he gives him the command, you are to walk around the city one time, you're to blast the trumpets, you do that one time a day for six days. On the seventh day, you do it seven times. And when all the people shout, God says to Joshua, the walls of the city will fall flat. That's exactly what happened. So God is a God who keeps his promises. Well, we also discovered Rahab, we didn't talk about her, but in chapter two, as Joshua was preparing to go into the promised land, he sent spies in and Rahab, you will remember, they came to Jericho, that great fortified city. Jericho is one of the oldest cities on the planet. And it had withstood numerous battles against it. It was, it was a fortress that was impenetrable. And so these spies go in and you'll remember that Rahab, who is classified as a harlot, literally protected them. She brought them into her house. In fact, let me also tell you this. Uh, the Bible says that she lived on the, the, uh, the wall of the city. 
that she dwelled on that wall, that big, massive 30-foot wall that we talked about last time we were together. And you remember I told you that archaeologists have discovered in their uh, look at the city of Jericho that all of the walls of the city fell at one time. A catastrophic event happened, and all of the walls of the city of Jericho fell at one time immediately, and they fell outward. Now, normally, if you've got an army that are invading, they are attacking, they the, the walls fall inward, but all the walls fall outward. And the archaeologists recognize that. In fact, they said that they're not willing to say that God did it, but they are willing to say that it, it looks like it happened exactly like the Bible said it did, that it was burned with fire, but yet it, it, it was a siege that was over in a very short period of time because there was food there. They weren't starved as often happens. But here's another fun fact that the archaeologists discovered. All of the wall of the city fell flat except one small section of the wall. There was only one section of the wall of the the city of Jericho that didn't fall. Well, the Bible tells us Rahab lived on the wall and God made a promise through those spies that if you help us, you keep your end of the bargain, we will preserve you and you put this scarlet thread in the the window and we will preserve you and your family. God is a God that keeps his promises, but not just those promises that they saw there. Do you realize that when God defeated Jericho, he was fulfilling promises that he had made much earlier? In the first chapter of the book of Joshua, when Joshua is taking over after Moses, I mean, what a task. You got to follow in the footsteps of Moses. And he was feeling inadequate and wondering if he could. God comes on the scene to say, Joshua, here's a promise. I will be with you. Just like I've been with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Everywhere your foot steps, I have given to you. I have already provided. The people are going to follow you just as they followed Moses. God made a promise to Joshua that he fulfills the moment the walls fall. So what we discover in this particular story is that he is a God that is a promise-keeping God. And just as God makes promises to Joshua... And just as God made promises to the nation of Israel, God's made promises to us. And you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that trusting the promises of God is part of the battle that you and I have to fight every day. We don't have a Jericho that we fight with armies on the other side. But you know what we have to fight? We have to fight to hang on the promises of God. Because God says to us, for example, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, how many times, though, have you felt forsaken? Aren't there times in your life you feel like, I wonder where God's at? I've prayed and asked God to do this, and God hadn't answered prayer, and I wonder if God even answers prayer. I wonder if even God's there. I wonder why, if God's there, would he allow me to go through the hurt and the pain and the heartache and the the challenges that I'm facing right now? And sometimes, you know what I've discovered? The fight is to hang on to the promise. That God is there, that he is faithful. And he says, I am faithful. I will never leave you or forsake you. But sometimes I've had to fight to hang on to the promise. But you know what I've discovered? The promise is true. 
that when I fight and when I hang on and say, God, I know it doesn't feel like it and it doesn't look like it and it doesn't seem like you're there, but I know you are. It's amazing to me when I hold on to that promise and I win that battle, suddenly the promise becomes a reality and his presence is there and he is with me. And so we began to hold on to the promise of his presence. And, and, and as we continue on to claim the promises of his presence, I think there are times when we have to claim the promise of his peace. Uh, you remember there's a passage of scripture where Paul kinds of teaches us and offers this truth. He, he says, um, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And, and when you do, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart, mind, and soul in Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to fight to keep from worrying. I mean, I watch the news and everything's going south. I mean, the, the, except for prices. You know, they're going north. Everything else is going south. I mean, every, the price of everything's going up. And, and news people seem to find the one grocery store that doesn't have anything. And they show us the empty shelves. And, and everything I find in the news tells me, be afraid. You need to be very afraid. You need to really be worried. You need to be worried about what's happening in the Ukraine because it's impacting you here and all the things that are happening all over the world are impacting you here. And everything, I I'm gonna tell you something, sometimes it's a fight not to worry and wonder what in the world's gonna happen tomorrow. And to fight to hold on to the promise where God says, don't worry. Are you serious, God? Yeah, don't worry. Don't worry about anything. In fact, this is what I want you to do. Pray about everything. Carol, instead of worrying about it, I want you to pray about it. If that worries you, pray about it. Pray about the price of gas. Pray about the, the scarcity of, of, of challenge. Pray about the, the problems that are happening in the world. And I want to tell you something. When you begin to do that, when you take your eyes off the problem and you put your eyes on me, you begin to pray, I will give you a peace that's not like anything the world offers. And suddenly, the price can continue to go up and all of a sudden, you're, you're not impacted by that. You're fine because you know that my promises are true and I'm faithful. And, and so the fight for us sometimes is to hold on to the promise of God. That's why God says to Joshua in chapter one, he said, Joshua, I want you to be bold and courageous and you better hold on to the word of God. Don't you let it depart from your mouth. You have got to spend time in the word because you're going to see things and there are going to be challenges that you face that will challenge you to mistrust me, challenge you to believe that my promises are not true. You hold on to the word of God. Now I want to say to you that the promises of God for us are his word. And the way we hold on to the promises of God is we are in his word. You've got to be, we'll never be victorious if we're not in his word. So you need to get in his word. And as you are in his word daily, and you're not reading chapters, just a portion every day to commit. God, I'm going to open your word. Speak to me through your word. Look for promises to claim and hang on to those and fight for the promise. And in doing that, we will discover that he is a promise keeper. So stay in the word. Find and hold on to the promises of God. Secondly, though, we need to follow God's plan. If there's anything this story has taught us, 
It has taught us the importance of following God's plan. Now, there are two thoughts that come to mind with regard to following God's plan. The first thing that the story teaches us is, is this. When we follow God's plan, absolute obedience is essential, right? That's what we learn. I, I mean, let me just ask you a question. What do you think would have happened if the nation of Israel would have said, well, now, God, I think six times, six, that's overkill. I mean, we walked around one day, we came back, we hung out. We walked around the second day, we came back, we hung out. We walked around the third, God, you know what? I think four days is enough. I think what we ought to do, let's just go ahead and blast the horns and scream and shout and just let the walls fall on the fifth day. Now, or, or maybe they would have said this, you know what? Seven times around on the seventh day, are you serious? Seven times, that's exhausting. And it's worthless. Why would I do that? And so they just come around and by the fifth time they say, you know what, we, we, we've seen enough. We know everything that we need to know. Let's just shout and blast the horn and get this show on the road. Now when I ask you, obviously, what would have happened? Well, you know. Isn't it funny that we read that Bible and we say, no, it wouldn't work. Absolute obedience is essential. In, in fact, this is what I've discovered. You have no problem demanding absolute obedience from everybody else but yourself. I want you to understand this. Listen. Partial obedience is the same thing as willful disobedience. Three times around and stop is the same thing as willfully disobeying God. Now, this is the problem. The reason many of you have no victory in your life is because you think that if I get close enough, it's good. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not doing everything God wants me to do. And there's some things in my life that shouldn't be there and things in my life that, 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 I'm, that I'm, I'm not doing that should be there. But you know what? I'm better than that guy and, and I'm better than that person. And, and, and I know I'm not, what, but, but I'm making a stab at it. And somehow I think God ought to give me an attaboy, you know, slap me on the back and say, good try, good effort. Here's a trophy. And you know what God says? If you don't walk in absolute obedience, I can't bless you. God is very specific in what he tells the nation of Israel to do. And the reason he's specific is because he wants them to do exactly that. He tells them. We looked at it. Cross over the Jordan, get 12 guys from all the 12 tribes, one representing every one of you. I want a representative from each one of your families. Go get a rock out of the middle of the Jordan and pile it up here. Why do you want us to do that? Just do it. And, and, and later on, when your kids ask you the question, why is that pile of rocks there? You can tell them about when I brought you across the Jordan. But you know what's really cool? I don't think that was the only reason God did that. Because every time they walked around 
Jericho, they came back to Gilgal where that pile of stones were. And I think every time they came back and they sit there thinking to themselves, why are we doing this? Why are we, this is ridiculous. Walking around and we've got to do the same thing again. And then maybe somebody would nudge the other and say, there's that pile of rocks. God told us, you know what, that, that God that's telling us to walk around this thing is the same God that stopped the water of the Jordan. So we are to be obedient. Now, and let me just say this to you too, before we go on, I think this is another important point, brings it home to us. Um, we need to be obedient to God's command, even when they seem silly. Doesn't that seem apparent in the story? We've got to do what God says even when it seems silly. It seems silly. Walk around. Walk around. Walk around. In fact, I even feel silly doing this. Uh, everybody's laughing at me. The people up on the wall are laughing at me. They're looking at me saying, what, what in the world is wrong with you people? We've been here for centuries and nobody has ever attacked us this way and we've stood the test time. You just go walk around? Are you serious? That's what you do. And, and I want to tell you, sometimes God asks you to do things that seem silly. And sometimes God asks you to do things that other people may laugh at you for doing. I'll give you an example. There's a principle in the Bible that says this. Christians should not marry a person that's not a Christian. Did, did you know that's a principle in the Bible? Don't, don't marry if you're a Christian a person. Now, to, to apply that, what I would say to young people today and often do is don't even date them. As a Christian, you should not date a person that's not a Christian. And, and, but, but that's silly. Why would, why? That's ridiculous. I mean, they're good people. I know good people, good husbands, good fathers that are not Christians. I know good people, good ladies, good moms, good wives that are not Christians. Why in the world would God say that? It makes no sense. In fact, my boyfriend doesn't know Christ and my girlfriend doesn't know Christ. And I'm the only Christian they know, and I might have an opportunity to win them to faith in Christ. Why would you tell me not to date a Christian? Because it's in the dating process that you fall in love and decide we want to get married, and all of a sudden now I'm doing something that God said not to do. And why would God tell me not to do that anyway? It seems so silly. Well, let me help you with that one. Because sometimes if you look at it long enough, it makes sense. And I've kind of looked at this one for a little bit. God's pretty good at relationships. He, he's the one that made you. He made you relational. And, and the rules he gives us for relationships really make a lot of sense. And this is, I think, what God was saying when he says that we, as a Christian, should marry a non-Christian. Let me, let me explain. And if you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, this may, may help you understand. Because that seems harsh. But let me tell you something about Christians. For a Christian, the most important thing in their life is Jesus. For a Christian, there's nothing more important. He's number one. More important than wife, more important than husband, more important than children, more important than family, more important. Nothing in my life is more important than my relationship with Jesus. That's first. So I want to ask you a question. What kind of relationship 
would we have if the most important person in my life, who's my wife, I can't talk to about the most important thing in my life. I can't even talk to the person I'm closest to about the thing that is more valuable than anything else. The thing that that really impacts the way I live my life and the way I think and the way I believe. And what happens is that all of a sudden we come together and we love each other, but, 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 but I march to the tune of what God says and this person says that's silly and it doesn't make any sense. And as a result of it, it creates conflict. And you know what God says? Relationships are hard enough. You don't need that conflict. He talks about it being unequally yoked. That's a good word. It's a picture of of two oxen put together in a yoke. One of them that's larger, fast moving, one that's smaller. And all of a sudden, as they're plowing, it looks like this. This guy is pulling and the other one's just kind of, you know, their neck's craned and they're going and they're walking through life and it's just miserable. It's just hard. And it's harder than it needs to be. But let me also say this very quickly. There there are times when God's plans seem silly. And if we look at it long enough, we realize, you know what? It kind of makes sense. But I will have to admit to you that there are times when God's commands don't make sense. And they're silly and always will be. This is one of them. I don't know why God told him to walk six times around. I can speculate all day long, but the bottom line is I have no clue why. So the second part of following God's plan, I told you one is absolute obedience. The next is faith. To follow God's plan means that you trust the God who gives the plan. God, I don't know why you're asking me to do this. But see those stones here? I don't know why you're asking us to do this, but you see the stones? He's the one that brought us across the Jordan. And if he brought us across the Jordan, tells us to walk around, then that's what you do. We can trust him, and our faith is in him. In fact, did you know in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, that book of we call it the, the, the chapter of faith, the hall of faith in the Bible. By faith, Abraham, by faith, Noah, by faith, all these people. Do you know that when it tells the story of Jericho, Joshua's name's not in there? You know what it says? By faith, the people of Israel walked around Jericho. And the walls fell. Why did the walls fall? Because they did what God said. They just followed his plan. They were just obedient to what he said. And the call is for us to follow God's plan. And I want to say this to you. If you're praying and saying, God, what is your plan and purpose for your life? And God hadn't shown you. Just do what he's already told you to do. There's enough in the Bible for you to do. You don't have to sit here and wait. Go ahead and be obedient to what he's already revealed. And then he will, in the process, reveal more. Final thing that I want you to notice is this. We are to rely on God's power. Boy, you see that in the story, don't you? Rely on God's power. 
Jericho, Jordan, the wilderness, food and water that God provided there, the Red Sea, Egypt, all of God's plan and purpose reveals God's power. The fight from victory, as we talked about last time we were together, is to rely on his power. I think God was trying to teach the nation of Israel this important truth. And and I think he's trying to teach me this all the time. And I've walked with the Lord 40 years and I'm still, I still forget this stuff. And no, I take that back. I've been a pastor 40 years. I've been walking with the Lord longer than that. But, but you know, at, at a graduate level for 40 years, and I'm still struggling with this stuff as a pastor. This is what he's telling the nation of Israel. This, this is what it means to rely on God's power. God wants the nation of Israel, and and this is what they do in this moment. They realize as they walk around and they look at Jericho, they they make this observation. Same observation they made at, at, at the river when God makes them wait there until the waters of the Jordan rise above flood stage. Same thing that he taught their forefathers that had died uh, at the Red Sea, when, when the mountains on one side, wilderness on the other, and Pharaoh's army's closing in, they got the Red Sea in front of them. Same truth. This is what he's teaching them. I can't, but he can. I can't, but he can. If you will ever embrace that truth, you're on your way to winning daily battles. I can't, but he can. Relying on God's power means that we admit, I can't. You see, the reason many of you don't know God's power is you're fighting life yourself. You're doing everything in your own power. And God's saying, you know what? Until you stop and finish, I'm just going to let you fight at it. And you walk exhausted through life, beating life with a stick. And God says, why are you doing that? Stop and admit you can't do it. And then admit I can. And watch, I will give power through you. His power comes as we trust his promises. His power comes as we walk in obedience. But his power enables us to overcome. It's his power that gives us strength, as the Bible says, in our weakest moment. When we give up in our weakest moment and say, I can't. And all of a sudden we discover he can and he does through us and in us, right? In a small sense, that's kind of what happened this morning with me. I can't, I'm not thinking clearly, I can't do this. Even me telling you in the early service, I don't know what I said because I had a headache. I have, I have a sneaking suspicion it was probably all right on target. You know why? Because when I can't, He can. And when we learn to walk in that experience, you see, 
Some of you, listen, some of you, there's somebody you need to forgive and, and you're hanging on to something that's happened years and years ago and you can't forgive. You've tried and tried and tried. You can't. He can. And he will through you forgive. And you know what? Some of you need to forgive yourself. There's some of you that are beating up on yourself for things that have happened years ago. It's time to let go. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to say, God, I can't let go. But you can and I'm going to trust you to give me the strength to let go. There are people that God calls us to love that are hard to love. And the only way we can is with his love. And, and, and some of you can't love yourself. And the only way that you will is to love yourself through his love and to live with purpose and meaning. Lessons from Jericho. Trust his promises because he's a promise keeper. Follow his plan. Just obey and don't ask any questions. And even if you ask questions, keep walking in obedience. Trust that the one telling you to do it knows what he's doing. And then walk in his power. Let him live through you. You died a self. And my friend, that's how we win daily, the battles that we fight. So I don't know what your battle is, but I know today you can trust God. I don't know what you are standing up against that is proven to be bigger than you are, but it's not bigger than he is. And today, you can give it to him. Maybe you're here and have never accepted Jesus as your Savior. You're, your Jericho is sin that separates you from God, and there's not one thing you can do about it. You can't fix that. You can't live good enough to go to heaven. And what you need to do is just admit, I can't win. I give up. And he can do what you can't. He came and lived and died to pay the penalty for the sin that you couldn't pay the penalty for. And he offers you eternal life as you turn to him and receive him as Savior and Lord. So whatever God tells you to do, it may be some area of partial obedience in your life that he's saying, you know you're walking the line there. Or it might be willful obedience, disobedience in your life. You know what you're doing that he told you not to. Now's the day to fix it so that we can walk in power. Father, thanks for the message you've given us today, the opportunity to live it out, to walk it out, to flesh it out. And um, every one of us in this room know these truths. We, 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 this is where we live. So thank you for telling us over and over and over again. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll tell us again tomorrow those same three truths until we get it. And, and I pray that we will get it and we'll begin to walk it out so that we can walk in victory. For any who are listening who have never accepted you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they, they turn from sin to receive the gift of eternal life that you offer in Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen and amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, 
please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.